I'm going to try to share my screen, including audio. Let me know if you can hear this for sure. C'est ce que tu penses. Tu te dis que ton frère a désobéi au clan. Tu te dis que si tu l'as tué, c'était pour maintenir l'ordre. Tu te dis que c'était ton devoir. C'était mon devoir. Et aussi mon Mais ça ne veut pas dire que je ne dois pas l'honorer honorer ton frère Genji avec de l'encens et des offrandes L'honneur ne se mesure que par les actions. Tu oses me donner des leçons sur l'honneur Tu n'as aucun droit de prononcer son nom Qu'est-ce que tu attends Tue-moi Non. Je ne t'accorderai pas la mort que tu souhaites. Il te reste encore beaucoup à accomplir, mon frère. Non. Comment Mon frère est mort. se posa au sol. Pour la première fois, il voyait le monde avec clarté autour de lui, et il devint humain. L'étranger lui révéla alors qu'il était son frère. Enfin réunis, ils se mirent ensemble à rebâtir ce qu'ils avaient autrefois détruit. Qu'est-ce que tu es devenu J'ai accepté ce que je suis à présent, et je t'ai pardonné. Maintenant, il faut te pardonner toi-même. Le monde va changer une fois de plus, Anzo. L'heure est venue de choisir ton camp. La vie n'a rien à voir avec les histoires que nous contait notre père. Et tu es fou si tu y crois encore. Je suis peut-être fou de croire qu'il y a encore de l'espoir pour toi. Mais j'y crois. Réfléchis, mon frère. This feels like the the kind of propaganda 
that I was exposed to when Mormons were trying to convert me. So they have this video of Joseph Smith finding the golden tablets, and it's got like this beautiful choral music going on. And it was it was really pulling at my heartstrands. I was I was getting ready to dive in after watching that, but it kind of feels like the same vibe going on here. Did you uh, did you guys ever <laughs> listen to a lot of uh, like sermon compilations, like revival, like Amp? a sermon jam? Yeah, I used to. I used to listen to a lot of Calvinist sermon sermon jams by John Piper. And... Yeah, I didn't listen to the Calvinist ones, but I used to listen to a lot of them. Yeah. Well, I suppose some of them are Calvinists, but like uh, Revival Hymn, we, we handed out thousands of copies of Revival Hymn through the truck stops in Oregon. Who's that? Uh, it's just one of the, uh, at least in my world, it's one of the first really well done sermon compilations. You should look it up. I'll send, I'll send you, I'll, po I'll post a link on here uh, after yeah. we're done for everybody to catch uh, Revival Hymn. So, I've apparently we, we, been missing out, not, not never having heard what a sermon jam is. Oh yeah, you're missing out. It's just it's just like that, but sermons like with well well produced music behind it. And uh, okay, revival hymn has Ian Paisley, who is a certainly a Calvinist, um, but a screamer. It's rad the way it starts, and then a lot of like uh, Duncan Campbell and Ravenhill <laughs> and. Uh, even some old uh, Tozer, Reedhead. It's really, really good. Do you guys? Fun. Do you what? What? What do you guys listen to for for preaching? Where do you go to if you want to hear a sermon or get your heart stirred up? I don't really listen to many sermons anymore. I, I used to listen to a lot of John Piper, David Platt, Paul Washer, Francis Chan, mostly Francis Chan, Eric Ludi. Um, back in the day when I listened to, to sermons, it was mostly Calvinist. <laughs> yeah. um, they tend to be the, their you know, hard hitting sermon type. Um, but mostly now I listen to podcasts just cause I prefer the format of conversation rather than lecture. Well, I came from Baptist. And so if I don't have a little bit of shouting now and again, I get bored. You don't shout when you preach, though. I don't. You know, I used to when I was younger, and I think it's just an adaptation to the audience. People, we just don't do that much here, and so I'm not, I'm much less of a shouter than I was as a charity preacher. Oh man, I would have. I used to, to be that. though. I kicked a hole in the church in the in the wall <laughs> once in Oregon. <laughs> wow! Seri like you, you damaged the drywall to make a point. That's it's very worse than that. I it's, like that. It's, <laughs> It's even worse than that. We had this little, this building we used to rent in Halsey was a karate shop when we, when we first started renting it. And so we'd have to go in every Sunday and take down the flags and the nunchucks and the swords and have meeting in there and then put them all back up after we left. And then after a while, the, the owner came to us and he said, you guys are in here preaching, turn the other cheek, and I got swords and stuff on the wall. I'm thinking maybe you guys should just rent this all the time, and we'll go somewhere else. Was, we were like, oh, great. That's that's sweet. So wow. then we had the building to ourselves, and um, we would always leave it open because anybody from the neighborhood would meet up there. It was kind of like a meeting place for the church, and we'd have you know, people just would swing by, hang out there, or whatever. So uh, one Sunday, I was preaching, and I was I was preaching about 
about Solomon's temple and how they didn't they didn't uh, they didn't ever strike a hammer on the Temple Mount. And I was making the point, twofold point, that one, that means they actually built the temple twice. They built it in the quarry to make sure it fit and then rebuilt it up on the Temple Mount. But then also how careful they were about these stones and how much more careful we should be with our brothers, which is kind of what you were talking about, maybe talking about tonight, Titus, yeah. that um, to just go around willy nilly beating on the stones of God's temple is not a wise thing. And I was making an exaggerated point about that and thumping on the pulpit and kick the wall. I was in the middle of the moment. I didn't realize it. So fast forward the next week I come into meeting and I was always there early and I get there to set stuff up and everything. And there was this gang of boys in the neighborhood that were all troublemakers. They were friends of mine. They hung out around my house and stuff, but they were troublemakers. And I went in and there's a big hole in the wall. And I was like, were these kids in here? And I started interrogating people and saying, what is going on? Why is there a hole in the wall? And everybody started laughing at me and tried to remind me that I had done it the week before. <laughs> That's I never like broke the, the pulpit. modern version of taking a whip to That's the temple, good, I guess. That's a good story. <laughs> so, so go ahead and we'll, you might as well springboard off of there and let's, let's introduce a topic and see, see what, what hay we can make with it. Sure. Let me um, share my screen again so everyone can see. What I think we can probably all agree was the meme of the week. So I was uh, I was mowing Thursday morning and checked my podcast feed as one does when he's doing brainless work. And I listened to the latest episode of Anabaptist Perspectives, which is my friend Regan and Jaron started it back in the day. And it's it's really snowballed into sort of the flagship podcast of conservative Anabaptism. And Chester Weaver, who I, I'm not sure that I've ever met, I've heard his name before, he had been on earlier critiquing Protestant fundamentalism and uh, discussing how it's impacted Anabaptism. And I thought, yeah, that was interesting. It's it's great. And And I was also, around that time, I was actually considering reaching out to Reagan and saying, man, I really appreciate the last couple of Anabaptist Perspectives episodes because they're really focusing on mission work, you know, how uh, conservative Anabaptists have been reaching out to to uh, victims of, of COVID in, in New York and, and um, giving masks and gowns to hospitals, sewing them for hospitals, and Reagan has been involved in that. And so it seemed like it, was, it AP was really having a, an outward focus, you know, they were it, producing the sort of content that I was I actually produce on my other show and then this episode dropped <laughs> in in which Chester <coughs> Chester shared what I heard maybe every seven or eight Sundays in my beachy Amish Mennonite church growing up including pictures um, of the sort that were often included in these types of sermons and to me it, it sounded like the, the same sort of fundamentalism that he was critiquing in Protestantism, except it was Anabaptist fundamentalism. So I, I stopped my mower, whipped out the phone without thinking, created this meme. And lo and behold, <laughs> 152 comments later, president of uh, Sattler College, Dean Taylor, gets involved. 
Reagan and Jaron from Anabaptist Perspectives get involved. And, and then Chester, apparently, even though he's not on Facebook, somehow was able to access the comments. And it turned into this big thing. And I, I, I guess Chester felt misrepresented and also felt like this was not exemplifying the spirit of Christ, a lot of, of what was going on. And so th this has had, I've been thinking a lot about this and we've been in, in communication. I've, I've taught, spoken on the phone with the guys from AP and um, I've been emailing with Chester a bit too. And, and things are cleared up to the point that if all goes as planned, Chester and, and also Dean Taylor perhaps will be on this podcast next Monday to discuss this. Um, but this has got me thinking about, you know, division. So the last thing I want to do is stir up unnecessary division in the body of Christ. And I consider conservative Anabaptists to be my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I consider them to be, as a rule, more devoted to the kingdom than at least evangelicals in America. Right. And so the last thing I want to do is, is create unnecessary division and promote things that are actually hurtful to men that have been following Jesus for mm -hmm. maybe three times as long as I've been alive, <laughs> you know, and, and I've also been reading in the scriptures a lot about, you know, lists of people who will not inherit the kingdom and, or lists of sins that will keep people from inheriting the kingdom and dissension, division, these things are almost always included in these lists. So there there's that side, but then there's also, Paul standing up and confronting Peter to his face because he stood condemned, right? Um, there's Jesus and Paul using very strong language about people they disagreed with. So when is it appropriate to, to use strong language and to refute false teaching? And when is it damaging to, to critique people and critique ideas on issues that that perhaps are not as damaging as the issues that we need to you know speak more harshly against. So that's kind of my way of setting up the conversation. Well, my my initial thought I had let me just rabbit trail a little bit from there. I, I had a conversation with a, a, a good friend of mine um, just yesterday. And um, she was saying that she checks in on DKCM every once in a while, and she just doesn't quite get it. It just seems basically the same thing Chester was seeing. Like, I don't know how that edifies Christ, or yeah. I'm not sure what the gig is, and I don't get all the jokes, and I'm not sure it's, it feels right. And in that conversation, one of the things that I came across is that uh, I think that people with certain personality types are less prone to, to enjoying that form of discourse. And so I don't think that it has to be everyone's cup of tea. But I also pointed out to her that, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of people who, who, like, for instance, if you look at our our hell wars, you know, the recent conversations about ECT versus CI, um, 
there's a forum now for some people to explore that conversation, which I think is, a, mm-hmm. I mean, as Christians, we're advocating something about people's eternity and to have a real, a real thorough discourse about what all that means is an important thing. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. think it should be wanting that we should not have a place to really ask questions about that. And, and some people live in environments where that's not, those are too taboo to discuss and to have mm-hmm. a place where you, and maybe, and I, what I would guess is that what we've seen with DKCM over the last, however long we've been running it, is that there are, they're kind of become champions for causes. People take a side and then, and then it's kind of like the Coliseum of ideology. And then everybody else kind of most of the people are spectators and they watch it play out. But just to, I think for some people just to watch the conversation play out and see which points line, which points land uh, in favor or in opposition to ideas is a, is a really valid uh, mm-hmm. expression of, of how to vet and weigh I- ideologies. So, that's kind of my apology for DKCM. And we make, a, we've made quite a few apologies at DKCM, but in, in answer to your specific question, uh, Titus, I think that a lot of what I, and I don't want to, I don't want to be dismissive uh, and I don't want to be reductionist, but I think a lot of what I, what I'm seeing when I see the scriptures talking about division um, is that it's a, it's more about um aligning yourself in factions and that that's the real that's Mm -hmm. one of i don't know if it's the only but it's one of the great problems of the church from its inception is this i'm of apollos i'm of cephas i'm of paul and this we're and i think that you can do that with ideology and and you can say well we're the eternal conscious torment people and those other people they're just you know they don't really love god which is, you know, the trope of the fundamentalists. They don't, they don't understand God. They don't care about God or they don't want to listen to God. That's why they don't agree with me. Or on the other side, you say, oh, well, anybody that believes that you're going to, God's going to burn people in hell forever, then they, they don't serve the same God I do. And that's mm-hmm. that kind of like identifying with the ideology or the personality is one of the biggest no-nos that we should be, that we should be watching out for in the church. I, I think that the church is supposed to be the real spiritual university. I think it's supposed mm-hmm. to be the unifying place that allows for diverse opinion, that allows us to have this exchange of ideas, exchange of content, and, and a real conversation about real issues uh, in the format of, of a, a loving brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, what do you I think, would... Anthony? <clears throat> I'm thinking, yeah, that, that that's this is what, um, in addition to the opportunity that it gives, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Am I coming through? You're, you're cutting um, out. Oh, I can hear him. It must be your internet, Matthew. Oh, maybe okay. it's my end. I haven't had a great signal lately. Okay. Um, in addition to to the benefits of of actually being able to see these ideas discussed in a public forum, which is, you know, why people watch debates and things like that as well. Um, what a forum like DKCM allows, I think, is that it's really valuable is to see how those how, how people can vigorously disagree with each other's ideas and still love and trust each other fundamentally. Um, and, and that's, 
like that's something that a lot of us have not had many real real life experiences with um and many people like you said in many environments it's not safe to it's not safe to um diverge from the group think um and and you risk even by asking certain questions you risk being ostracized um becoming an outcast and you know losing your relationships or at least eroding them so this is like if the church is supposed to be a spiritual university it has to be a place where people are free to think um where people are welcome to think and where mm -hmm. where where that where we're asking questions um is legit is legitimized and that's another thing that i think is is really beautiful about dkcm is that something about the the very frank and blunt and straightforward way that conversation happens means that the sort of people that 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 are comfortable with that um go away and there's not and, and that pressure disappears for the people that remain there's actually freedom to to discuss and and like you said there's there's differences in personalities like dkcm has a really distinct personality um that's not to everybody's taste and that's fine there are other ways to have frank conversations than that Uh, right. but what's important what what's key that that should characterize our relationships is that the reason the things work on DKCM is that the core people have learned to know each other well enough that we actually like each other we trust each other for the most part we we believe the best of each other even when we're disagreeing with each other and that's true of discussing ideas in real life and for me that's a key that's a key idea to keep in mind like if i'm going to confront someone about an idea um that's going to be that sort of rapport that sort of some level of trust and relationship is required for that to be a constructive um interaction yeah and at, at the risk I of i think that um go ahead one... but yeah no you go ahead titus Yeah, I was just going to say, at the risk of, of just patting ourselves on the back, I, I want to agree with you, what you guys are saying by making the comment that I think that in our broader culture, when people know that they disagree, they generally or, or often they just don't bring it up because it's such a mm -hmm. vitriolic conversation. And, and many times they look at what we're doing and they're like, well, you guys are always arguing you're, you're divisive. And I'm like, no, we, we are just okay with disagreeing with each other. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. we have no problem with disagreeing with each other. And it's, it's probably you guys that are actually the ones who would, would get really hurt feelings about disagreement faster than we would. So that, that's my comment in, in defense of what we're doing Um, now, as far as what happened last week, I, I don't know. I, I know that there's some pretty substantial paragraphs that someone needs to brave in order to join the group, like the, the introduction to the group. But maybe 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 that needs to be even more clear that, look, you in this group, we we go after ideas in a very direct way. And, and that's just we, we don't 
hate people. We, we do hate some ideas, but we don't hate people. And I, I guess this is part of the drawback of it being a public group is people can look at the memes without seeing that intro. So I don't know if there should be like a pinned post at the top of the page that say, hey, please read these terms <laughs> um, before reading, right. looking at the memes or something like that, just to just to make it clear that, look, I mean, even though these memes are very pointed, like we do not take this personally. This is not. And, and most of the memes were going after each other. Like I troll Matthew. I troll you constantly. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of what I do. Like if I want to criticize young earth creationism, I'll frame the meme in a way that's making fun of you rather than young earth creationism. Um, it's just, it's great fun to, to troll you. And, and, right. and yet, and yet none of us take it personally. So I think if, if someone's from the outside has been targeted by our memes, I think part of the offense is the fact that they don't realize that, that we do this to each other more than we do it to people on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, and we, we tried to if, make a, we, we, go ahead, Andrew. Go ahead. Um, we tried was, to make a we tried to make a rule that said that we would not we would not use we were going to target ideas and not individuals and the the exception to that clause was uh, like people who are well acquainted with the group who know that that's okay and don't mind it that we know that like Titus making memes that are directly pointed at me by name or anybody at me by name because I'm I'm an easy foil. Um, but I enjoy that. And, and we want somebody to be at that place before their name, before they're called out personally. But the other exception was for public figures. And we figure somebody with a public teaching platform or, or, you know, published works fits in that category to one degree or another. It's gray sometimes where that line is. And I don't know, I don't know that Chester signed up for that kind of, of public scrutiny as a public figure. And so that may be where some of the rub is. And then I also think that there's probably a big culture clash um, mm-hmm. between somebody who's not familiar with this form of discourse and how, how we do this. And I think that, I think that we, I, I heard from what I heard uh, around the way was that we had worked to reach out and talk to the to mm-hmm. people and try to smooth that over and help people understand. And I think we got there. And, and the other thing is that we wanted to do tonight, we talked about doing specifically a response to some of the things that Chester said on AP. And uh, my inclination was, hey, well, let's ask Chester to come on and talk to us about it so that uh-huh. he can answer for himself so we don't make a caricature of his opinion yeah. so that we really give him room to answer his the objections for himself whatever objections there would be and 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 really flush out this idea that it's okay for people to lovingly even rib each other but not so much that just disagree and have a place where they don't meet eye to eye i don't feel like i feel like dkcm is getting kind of stagnant if i don't at least roll my eyes once every couple days and be like are you kidding me who believes that like i want a place where stuff comes up that I want to challenge or engage with or dispute about because I want I want to be sharpened by those things. I wanna use this tool to refine the way that I think and the way that I respond to things and the and and it has helped me. I think it's it's helped not just with polemics, although it's certainly good for that, but with rhetoric. 
to understand the points that people are making and and how to how to accommodate for them in in your thinking around your own positions yeah so what do you guys think about um the idea of trying to debate people in comment sections on social media not thinking specifically about the dank page anymore but just in general because i have a a group of people who are close to me who are very serious about me never posting anything political on facebook (laughs) um (laughs) and i i i used to post more political things i almost never post anything political anymore and so we're obviously called to stand for the truth but is the comment section of facebook with people you don't know ever productive in standing for truth in in areas like politics or is it just something we do because it gets us riled up and we want to fight? I would say it's an advanced skill. There aren't very many of us. I, that are I, be successful I have experiences at it. with people on the regular that that say that say that they're they were they came across something thought provoking, either on my personal page or mm-hmm. through a discussion feed or through DKCM. The, the thing about it is though, that it's not always the person that you're discussing with, because sometimes mm-hmm. I'll get in a discussion with somebody who's very virulently on the opposite side of a spectrum from me. And it's not, I don't, I'm probably not gonna change that guy's mind, but other people watching, and that's the value of social media to have mm-hmm. that. Here's the thing, social media <clears throat> is not a new human construct. It's just a new <clears throat> format for that construct. Mm-hmm. Like Boston Commons used to have people get up on milk crates and and give public discourse. And then somebody would set up a milk crate 20 feet away and argue with him. And they would have that argument in public. The Stephen Douglas debates were a public forum of debate where people were hearing out arguments for and against a position. This idea is a very American and probably Western concept where ideas get aired in public and, and the audience is the real target not the person I'm having mm-hmm. a rhetorical battle right. with, but the people who are watching. Mm-hmm. And those people who are watching do take, <coughs> do take sides and do end up making changes in the way they think based on some of those interactions. What do you think, Anthony? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that very much so. That is typically uppermost in my mind um, <clears throat> is when I'm having a conversation is the people who are, who are or listen, obviously it's, it's in a, in a strong, in a controversial discussion where you don't know the other person very well. It's, it's really, like I said, an advanced skill to be able to engage with them in a redemptive way and to treat them with the human respect that they deserve. Um, right. In, for being in the image of God, but they, they, uh, but I'm always thinking of the people that are reading, um, that may not even, you know, be mashing a, resp- a reaction button or anything, you know, and, and I often hear, I've often heard feedback from people that say, you know, I saw this, you know, I saw so-and-so posting things and it like just tore me up inside. Like I would never dare to put my ideas out on social media, but I was so glad you responded to them. Um, and that there's a lot of people that are given courage by seeing true ideas defended in the public space. And 
and hope that hope that you know destructive ideas are not just going to run rampant and control the the um, control the public sphere. And so that's that's very I think that is a valuable reason to engage. But again, if you can't if you can't keep your head and and uh, I've also got another thing I would say is I've gotten valuable feedback from bystanders as well on my manner of engagement. I've, I've been able, you know, I, I continually, I tend to be aggressive even in, I, I don't feel aggressive in face-to-face -face conversations usually, but I come across that way to people sometimes. And in it's on social media- It's your deep voice. <laughs> on social media even more so. Um, and and so and so it's yeah it's it's just very valuable to have a conversation in public with somebody you might not be able to have a conversation with at all and there's there's a certain there's only a certain number of people fairly small percentage of people that are willing to be the one to jump up on a milk crate in the commons and start saying things and have everybody stand around and judge them for it um, and if you're one of those people and, and right. you have things you're passionate about, I think there's, there's almost a responsibility to find a redemptive way to use that calling. Yeah. So kind of continuing to segue, and if you guys want to talk about something else, let me know. I'm kind of controlling the conversation by asking questions, but how do you guys deal with the addictive nature of social media? Because I believe it's been proven that the way social media is designed with the notifications and the way it gives you dopamine hits, it is very addictive. And so how do you guys deal? Like, do you have like a, a social media ethic for yourself or for your family, like a time limit or anything like that? Or do you not find it to be that addictive? Or do you think it's fine to just spend tons of time on social media because we're interacting with people? Well, I can say for, for, for my part, um, I do a few things. Uh, I, I do have I, I do have um, screen time limits, and they don't they don't shut off my app. I think you can set them up that way. But I want to know the increments of time that I'm using based on what I need to get done that day. I I find the 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 interactions that I have with people fairly valuable especially now I have a very um, my, my church community takes a lot of my time and attention and energy. And in, especially now during quarantine with so much of that lacking um, I've been putting some of that time and energy into social media. And I think it's, I think it's been re rewarded well with, I don't know that I've, I would replay every single minute, but there's been some good opportunities and all that. But I, I'm also, I, for me personally, I'm a, I'm a tradesman. And so I kind of have these um, feast and famine cycles built into my professional world and, and, that, and correspondingly in my personal world. So, you know, as a sheetrocker for, for 20 years, 
sometimes I work till three in the morning to get a job done for a week in a row. And then I don't have work for three days. And that kind of ebb and flow of life is just, uh, you know, since I was young, that's been my world. And so I, I adapt well in that environment. And so when there's a lot that needs to be done, I, I'm, I'm not as, uh, I'm not as focused on what's happening in social media. And when there's not, then I do. So <clears throat> I have those kinds of like mini seasons where I'm active quite a bit and then not, but I do think it's important to give some kind of account for how much time, uh, is going into these things. And I, I don't know that that needs to be like, at least for my life, it doesn't need to be an exact number. And then I stop, but it needs to be, is this worth the time that I'm investing in it? Mm -hmm. And the, the question, the answer to that question isn't always yes, but it's often yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would second that. I'm not naturally a very disciplined person and it's something I always have to watch. Um, but I would say I spend a lot less aimless time on social media than I used to. And I do find that, I don't know, there's just a whole range of ways that the time I spend there has, <clears throat> it's connected me to people that are, you know, to, to people that I want to be like that are wiser than I am. Um, and for a lot of us, we're not necessarily surrounded by people like that. Like there's there's certain things about Western society that are that are uh, you know some of us are trying to get back into a situation like that and haven't fully succeeded yet. Um, so so yeah, I feel like I feel like uh, that idea of for me probably the the biggest thing is, and this is something I really should like install some apps and things just to make it clearer to myself. I don't have a good sense of the passage of time. So um, to be able to watch time blocks passing is a, is a really good, um, a really good suggestion uh, for me because that, that allows you to kind of have the metrics you need to determine whether you're spending the time correctly. Yeah. And I think there's a really fascinating concept. So there's two things that I think are missing from a lot of the conversations about, about digital and social media. And it's that, first of all, I don't know that it's much different. Like I asked somebody one time, somebody was complaining about, about children playing dumb video games. And I'm not a big video game fan. Uh, I, I, I actually don't advocate their use very much. But just to play with the ideas, what I said was, what's the difference between me as a kid sitting with a pocket knife whittling on a stick, which is a completely useless endeavor, or, or a kid sitting on a Game Boy playing Tetris? Like, there's not, I, I don't, I struggle to find a huge difference between those things. Now, I yeah. know cases are made about, you know, the difference of, um, what 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 our brains do neurologically mm -hmm. with dopamine especially with like notification reminders and the way these things are set up to trigger some of those reactions in us so and i think that's a wor that's worth considering but the 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 thing in and of itself staring at a fire or checking facebook don't seem to have a big you know net difference in 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 their value maybe you would argue that it's more meditative, but 
I would say that on the other side of that stick, the, the social engagement uh, of social media is, is helpful. And then the other thing is that, <clears throat> so there's this, this question of what do we occupy? Because people do things that are dumb, like whether it's mm -hmm. skipping rocks on a pond or whittling a stick or staring at a fire, people do time-passing mm -hmm. endeavors just as resets. And if you find that reset mm -hmm. in social media, I don't know that that's a bad thing. The other thing is that um, there's a concept called found time. You know, when you used to stand in the line at the bank, you were just standing in the line at the bank. And now people pull out their phone and they leave a comment on a Facebook conversation that they've been sharing. Now that upsets, especially boomers and old timers. And they say, oh, well, you're not paying attention to people around you. I love the picture of, uh, of a subway train in the uh, a commuter train in the in the 30s or 40s and everyone's got their face buried in, in a newspaper every person on the train like these are human interactions we just do these things whether it's pulling out a newspaper yeah. or a book or your phone i really don't think that these things are much different in content so those are things that i think mitigate some of the some of the nightmare boogeyman of social media and digital digital media. I'm not saying that that these things shouldn't have balance checks and balances and and things like you know some kind of moderation to them, but I just don't I don't buy the narrative that we have to be afraid of these tools. And the other thing is that I think there's a case that's that's often made. It's kind of like a social media breaks down social, real social contact. And I, 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 I don't experience that and I don't believe it, mm -hmm. but I, I, I believe it's possible for some people. Um, can, yeah. But I, if your life has, if your life has real people in it, the fact that I engaged with a broad spectrum of people from my whole life, you know, people I don't know, people that are new to new friends, people that I grew up with, people from my Baptist church background, all, all those people I have opportunity to engage with on social media that I would never talk to if it was 20 years in the past. You know, if it was the 1990s and I was this age, those people would just be lost to me and they're not. Yeah. And I, I love that. One thing that I found in my life is, especially as I've gotten to know kingdom Christians in the last two years or so on social media primarily is that it sometimes has made me discontent about the, the people who are in my real life <laughs> um, in that there's very few local people where I live who are interested in the ideas that we meme about, talk about, read books about. And it's, it is frustrating to me, and I wonder sometimes if I would have been more content if I wouldn't have found a lot of, of you guys on social media. Um, but th then again, I don't know that that's a bad thing because maybe that'll give me some motivation to find people who – and maybe to move <laughs> – to find people who have some of the same interests as I do. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a struggle for me just just because I'm kind of a nerd and you know not interested in a lot of the things that the people around me are interested in, 
and that can create loneliness sometimes. Do you guys have a lot of local people in your lives who are interested in the same kind of topics that we suss out here? Uh, yeah, locally, I would say I do. Um, but that's been a fairly recent, uh, a fairly recent development to have. But they have like long that. hair, well, so that doesn't really count. Um, I, one of them has ho- almost no hair at all. So that, that balances it out. But, <laughs> but, uh, the <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I have people around me like that. Um, and, and I don't, and I think I'm not as hungry for that kind of interaction as I used to be on social media. Um, but there have been times in my life when I didn't have a whole lot of that. And I know how, I, I know that what you're talking about. So you're saying that you struggled with some of those same things before you joined an intentional community. Yeah, it's, it's interesting well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, I'm not fully integrated in an intentional community as it is. I'm still an hour from the people I meet with, but we're in the process of, of uh, trying to get closer. But the, the, um, but the level of relationships we have, like it's, it's more than I've had anywhere I've lived um, so far. And, and so, yeah, I, I, it's it's it, one an interesting thing I would say. Ironically, I expected I felt like social media was valuable to me because of the networking it offered um, to other people in other parts of the country. When I was looking for a place to fellowship, um, I was like, how would I how would I connect to these people? How would I find these people? I met Matthew Milioni on on uh, social media, you Same. know, and and we 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 hit it off we hit it off there first before we met in real life and actually but interestingly enough the people that i fellowship with now i met at a birthday party in person um and and uh they were just there an hour for me and we didn't know about each other but thanks to social media we had mutual friends um and so there's kind of maybe maybe social media helped that relationship to blossom and maybe it didn't but but ultimately it wasn't really my networking online that that led me to the people that I'm with now which is which is uh is worth thinking about when we're focused outward at a distance um it is it is it really is a possibility that if you're really tuned in to people around you, I mean, what, whether, whether you're a hundred years ago with your face buried in the newspaper or whether you're right now just scrolling through your social media feed while you wait at the gas pump, um, if you're tuned into the people around you, you are more likely to make those kinds of, of uh, spiritually fruitful connections um, locally than if you're tuned out of the people around you and plugged into a, a virtual world. Um, so that's, I mean, that's something to be aware of for sure. And if I had gone, you know, if I had gone to that party, for instance, and sat on my phone all evening, um, mm-hmm. maybe I wouldn't have met the people that I met. So it's, it's yeah, keeping things in their proper sphere, I guess. 
I think there's an interesting thing that that um, uh, it's a phenomenon that I've observed among Christian people. We we like to feel guilty, and I think that we like to feel guilty about small things, especially. And so I, I I'm inclined to think that there's um because you know we don't want to deal with generally I don't want to deal with like misgivings that I have about somebody. I I would rather feel like I I ate too much cake or um I spent too much time on Facebook. And so I think that there becomes this phenomenon where we flog ourselves and others over over these little indiscretions because it, it allows me to to satiate my guilt without dealing with big stuff. And I I, I think that's kind of what the whole Pharisee racket was. And part mm-hmm. of the idea of fencing around the Torah is that if you feel a little guilty about a small infraction, you don't have to feel big guilty about big infractions. And so that's one thing that I think is worth interjecting into the current conservative Christian tendencies towards um, the way we look at and talk about these tools of our current age. What I do, uh, whenever I hear uh, some um, some new prophet against all things online, is I try to run that same sentiment through old technologies. Would mm-hmm. this argument pl- apply as well to the automobile and to the postage stamp and to the telephone? And if so, then I generally discredit it because if those other things that we've assimilated into our life are perfectly normal and we don't sense any fear or threat about them, like I don't worry about having a telephone or a car or electricity, but arguments are made. I mean, they were, they certainly were historically by larger groups Mm -hmm. than they are today. But even today, you know, old order communities still make those same arguments about how the car, you know, if you have a car, you don't know your neighbors and you get further away from home and you're mm-hmm. not content with the world around you and you live in too big of a world and globalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of which is at least partly true. Yeah, I mean, it is. And I think well, that's that's the other another point that I would make is that a, a lot of the arguments against things like social media say that that our brains are being reprogrammed. Like we're not living in the same kind of world intellectually that we used to. So I grew up as a kid in the in the post-analog pre-digital world where I knew all of my buddy's phone numbers. I knew all the people in my church's phone. I probably knew by the time I was 16, 40 or 50 different phone numbers. And that's an impressive piece of memory to not try for, mm-hmm. to just have 40 strings of seven digit numbers in your head. That's mm-hmm. a that's no small feat of memory. And so I didn't try to do that. I just did. And, and I don't, I'm, I know maybe five phone numbers now and they're the ones that I pay for. And so like, that's a, that constitutes a change in the way that I think about a certain set of data, but I have access to so many more things. And so I don't have to, you know, I don't know if it's a misattribution or what, but they, I've heard it said that uh, Einstein was asked about the, the speed of light. And he said, I don't keep such facts in my head. I have books for that. My, my, my brain is for thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that we're doing that 
on a large scale. And some people are saying that's going to lead to bad things. I tend to think that this is the new progression. Now, whether or not our intellect and our social skills can keep up with the emerging technology remains to be seen. But look now what, at the world that we're in with the pandemic, where we have to isolate. For the sake of health, we need distance between people. And this probably isn't the last time that this is going to happen. How important and how valuable is our digital technologies in order to be able to keep working, to keep communicating, to stay in touch with people, to check in on people, to all the things that we can do still, like if this kind of pandemic and isolation a hundred years ago would be much more limiting than it has been for us today. Uh -huh. So all of those things I think run in a thread that if, if you're going to explain to me the danger of social media, the danger of online, online, whatever, I want it to be especially applicable to that environment. I don't want it to be general. I don't want to be able to take out the word internet and put in the word postage stamp or telephone or automobile or electricity and it make just as much sense. Right, right. I think you were describing me there, Matthew, because I am very legalistic about small things in my life where I want to be more disciplined. And that's maybe where my pietism comes in. And it kind of has become an obsession to me. So maybe you can get pastoral here and help me out with that. Because I I think part of it is I, I look at men who I, and women, Shia, who I really respect. And I see just an enormous amount of self-control in their lives. Men and women who've accomplished great things in the world. And I want that so badly. And but I don't know, maybe some people are just born with more self-control. Maybe I wasn't meant to accomplish all these great things. I don't know. Like maybe I was just meant go, to Titus. be like an average Christian. What's wrong with being an average Christian? You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you're really right. I think we do here. This is getting pretty touchy feely. <laughs> Well, it's it's a it's a worthwhile contribution because I think we do have some delusions of grandeur about how much we're supposed to do in the world. And I, I don't want to minimize the value of any Christian people or any humans. I mean, the potential is phenomenal with any individual. But but there's something holy about the normal human experience. There's something like when I think of the parts of my life that have the most eternal meaning they're they're kind of small things they're holding children and kissing your wife and feeling connected and you know they're things that are not conquering you know the world's biggest woes and ending wars and feeding all the hungry in the world and i think that life is supposed to like when i think of logos when i think about what logos is trying to do in us is that he's trying to expand the little things he's trying to make everything meaningful and so that you can find immense value and 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 literally the divine in these small moments and that that capacity is fascinating to me because you you touch on it every now and again you know you have these experiences in these small moments of life whether it's with family or friends or fellowship or or prayer or or in nature there are these times that you have where you just 
feel God in the moment. And those, I think that the, the concept of logos is supposed to be broadening that experience into every part of life. That when you read a book, when you have times, seasons of prayer, when you're just up early in the morning in your house and nobody else is there, or when you're burdened by something, that those are the places where you encounter the divine. And the more of those places where we encounter the divine, the closer to Logos we are. And so so, uh, if you can maximize the little things in your life and make meaningful and important the normal things, the time that you spend with your family, the time that you spend with your church, and those normal things become supernatural experiences, I actually think those are the kind of people that are primed to do great things in the world, ironically. And if they don't, they have super meaningful lives where they're connected to the divine. And that's a win-win. Yeah. Case in point right here. Oh, look at, look that. at that guy. He's he's going to have two brothers in about a month. That's amazing. <laughs> one, one of my customers today told me that my wife and I need some sex ed. Really? <laughs> Did you tell it sounds like you got it figured out? <laughs> yeah, that's what I should have said. <laughs> <laughs> Say hi, Zion. Hey, buddy. There's Matthew. He can't hear you. Here. Can you hear them, buddy? Hi. Hi, Zion. Whoa. Hear him? He's very confused. He's not sure what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I I, want to say, too, as a little bit of balance to my mysticism, that that it is really hard to be disciplined. And I don't want to minimize the value of that. To be able to do the same thing every day is is surprisingly hard. I mean, to to get up and read your Bible or to get up and go to work or to get up and do, you know, uh, that those are that, that's real stuff. And I think having mm-hmm. discipline about those things um, is meaningful. I I I also think that life is hard on people and and um so i'm friends with finn who i think is one of the most accomplished people that i've ever known i don't mean just his accomplishments i mean in his personal discipline the way he lives his life i I, i've never known anybody Mm. quite like him and it's amazing it's a it's it's like um it's kind of dazzling to be around and um, and I respect him immensely for for the discipline that he has in his life. But I, but there's a kind of equilibrium that um, I don't I don't know how do I say this right I don't know that everybody's supposed to be that way uh, because the 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 flights of fancy that I take in my mind and heart are are as they, they're really meaningful things. And if I was if I was religiously dedicated to the same kinds of the same kind of way of life that Finn is, I don't imagine that you you can do that. You can't just spin out on some weird little thought and follow it down a rabbit trail and end up sniffing daisies and finding God at the end of the trail. When like, have I, you asked Finny if you can? Well, I I think he's. I think he lives a very satisfied life. I think he's very yeah, glad for how he lives his life. Um, but I don't know that I would be very glad to live that life, yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh-huh. 
Um, so maybe there is some of it that it's just different different people are are respond to stimulus and and are are supposed to respond to their environment in different ways. And but we should always be here's the here's the balance. I think that we should always be challenging ourselves. We should always be mm-hmm. on the edge of our comfort zone. Like we should keep pushing past and developing the things that are important to us and the things that we want to pursue we should pursue with our whole heart. And if that means chasing rabbits and daisies, then chase rabbits and daisies. If it means mm-hmm. being able to say that you've had 7,000 nights in a row where you haven't missed family devotions, then like that's, that's, that's really awesome. Just mm-hmm. be at the edge of your comfort, be pushing yourself yeah. to do the next step and to be in the next place and to find, find more. Well, I don't know if anyone's watching the comments here, but I, Carrie, Carrie chimed in with something, Carrie Sutton, that I thought was um, relevant to what you said, Titus. She said, uh, in the military, we were ranked annually by who performed best. I realized I was spinning my wheels trying to get ahead of somebody else. I chose to only outdo myself. And in doing that and not focusing on others, I ended up being that top performer. So there's an, an insight for you. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's actually a really, really useful um, thing to keep in mind. Make sure, like Matthew said, that you're on the edge of your own performance level. You're expanding your own power um, to, 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 to live well. Um, but it doesn't mean it's going to lo- look like what living well is for someone else. But I, I do think there's, there is a, there's a general truth that People who are, you know, people who are good at, you know, sniffing daisies. Um, not sure what that's a euphemism for, but, but uh, that the, those people are going to be more effective in their undertakings if they have a certain framework of order and routine in their lives that they're living out of. I, I think, I think a chaotic lifestyle. This is something that's that's really like I'm a very spontaneous person. I, 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 I can get an idea and just go after it and I can change my plans for the entire weekend. Um, I mean, if I, if I wasn't, if I didn't have a family and a wife who was very much not that way and other people, you know, whose lives inter, intertwine with mine, I would probably be changing my week's plans at the drop of a hat on a fairly regular basis, going off on all kinds of wild adventures. Um, but but there are things that I know that I would be better at or that I would have achieved much more and things that I really feel like are core to my calling. If I had basic things like consistently getting a full night's sleep, um, you know, managing my time more effectively, things like that, those sorts of basic habits are kind of like the basic toolbox that every human being needs to have be be somewhat competent in in order to be effective in anything else well would you guys agree yeah Uh, i think think routine is important and i think it's also important to break the routine at times like i think those are both mm -hmm. very important things it's kind of well you can't you can't break the routine i don't think redemptively unless you kind of have some sort of routine yeah yeah exactly I find that most of the routine in my life are things that are, are imposed. Like I don't self-impose much routine and I don't know if I'm worse for that or better. Um, 
You're just a hippie. I, you have a you have a hemp hammock in your house. I mean, we're, we we <laughs> no. know you don't have routine. Hand, handmade, exactly. <laughs> a handmade hemp hammock. It's uh, yeah, just not a shock that you're. Than that. It's yeah. it's not a shock that you're spontaneous, Matthew. I I but I don't I but I do I do relish the routines that I do have like, um, sitting with my fam at the table is something that is a routine, but it. But there are certain kinds of, but the things that are constitute real routine in my life are not things that I have to try to do. And I think maybe that's kind of some of the, some people feel um, stabilized by routine and some people I think feel constricted or confined by them. And mm -hmm. I'm certainly the latter. I feel confined mm -hmm. by routines, even, even, in the, even in the assembly, like I'm always advocating Hey, let's do things different. Like it doesn't have to be the same way all the time. Let's shake this up. And and that's that's unsettling to some people. But the flip side of that coin is is that if every Sunday we do the same like announcement, three songs, devotional, one song message, I feel constricted by that. And so I think that 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 personally and corporately the give and take between those positions is is a is a good thing to be able to flex as a community or as a person between those two extremes is a really healthy thing mm -hmm. hey um there was one thing I, I don't know if i'm bringing the conversation full circle or just yanking it backward or what but there's one thing that um connects to some of this I don't know if we if we had a, an objective necessarily for what we're but I didn't I didn't get around making this point when we were talking about about uh, differing with people in a redemptive way without people feeling threatened. Um, there is something that I think is really key to whether people can actually have. Um, whether people can have productive conversations around differences. Um, and I'd be interested in, in hearing your feedback on whether, you know, whether this makes sense to you or not. But in my, one of the things that, that we're experimenting with locally, I, I call it an experiment because, well, I believe in what we're doing. Um, I haven't been doing it long enough to say that I'm good at it or to actually say that it works in the way that I think it will. But what we're, what, what we really, what we really um, committed to do was not to, not to try to force each other's preferences on one another. Um, and, and to, and to begin in, in church fellowship with the concept with John 17, with the concept um, that we're going to spur each other on to a genuine relationship with God, to 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 um, and and we're going to learn to trust and like each other. Um, we're going to actually care whether people like each other or not. We're going to listen to each other. We're going to have good times together. We're going to make sure that that we're being forged into a family before we start trying to hash out you know, what we believe on eternal conscious torment, for example. Um, and not that we don't, not that we've got a, a ban on such discussions. It's if they come up, we can have them. 
But here's what I found is, is dramatically different for me. When you're not trying to legislate lots of lifestyle details on each other, and, and when you're not trying to legislate everybody's thinking so that they think in lockstep on, on all of these, on some of these issues that disciples disagree on. Um, what I found was that I, I don't think I had ever experienced in my life before in a church situation where you could have those conversations without the backdrop being one of us is going to win and force his will on the other. Um, and ev everywhere that I have been before, there was an understanding that we're going to be forced at some point into uni complete uniformity on this. We're going to be, we're going to have to walk in lockstep and depending on, you know, who has the majority, who has the most influence, who happens to hold the positions in the church, whatever, those things, those things are going that those people are going to win. So we're always talking for power so that my faction can win because we're all going to have to, whoever, whoever ends up with the most power gets to force everybody else into their mold. And I realized that even when you're friends with someone, <coughs> excuse me, even when you're friends with someone in the same church, even when you like them, and trust them if you have a difference with that backdrop, with that reality underlying it, that conversation is charged in a toxic way that makes it hard to, it ruins trust and it damages relationships and it makes those kinds of conversations fundamentally dangerous to your relationship. And that's, I believe that's why people learn not to have those conversations in settings that operate that way. And it, and what I've found is that you see people you you in when you take away that coercive um, that coercive environment, and then you start having these conversations. You can discuss very controversial and fairly personal things in a fairly open way, and you see people actually um, you know arriving at truth and growing into it. And, and you see the spirit of God actually having freedom to move and change people instead of people being jammed into someone else's mold and either, you know, either shutting themselves down and, and not asking more questions or just getting out and going somewhere where they agree with people. And, and that I think is, is, is a, a, just can't be overestimated as, as to how that poisons, how that poisons con conversations around controversial issues. If, if I need to force you into my way of thinking, and that can happen on social media and not, you know, even when you don't have any real levers, that's what I see. That's what I see as being the key difference between toxic arguments on social media or anywhere and redemptive ones is are both people in the conversation leaving the other person free um and you could it's so clear when you're talking to someone who needs to dominate and control you um when you're ha having a disagreement with a person like that versus the kinds of disagreements we have on dkcm where everybody's free so a question yeah, i would a have a, a question i would have with that that would open up a whole nother a whole nother rabbit trail that would take up a whole podcast is how do you know what's a secondary and what's a primary theological difference? 
because if someone came into uh, your yeah, that's, assembly, that's... if someone came into your assembly promoting just war, I you would probably have a real issue mm-hmm. with that. Whereas you would think views on hell, you know, whether it's universalism, e- ECT, or conditional mortality, is a secondary issue. Well, there's a lot of evangelicals, probably the majority of them, who would see that the exact opposite. And mm-hmm. there's really no scriptures defining what's a primary and theological, uh, primary and secondary theological issue that I can find. I, it, it's it's really boggles me. Um, so yeah, well, there's the gospels. <laughs> the, the gospels are primary <laughs> uh but yeah th- yeah that's that's another issue and that's a uh, not an easy issue to sort out and there are times where there are things that are serious enough they should be charged with a degree of of like if you're wrong about it you should not feel comfortable um so that that's that's true but i feel like in my background there was like a hundred times too many of those things um, where there, where you but could based not be on wrong what? without being forced into someone else's. Well, based on how many Anabaptist churches there are, for starters, that don't. Sure, but but how other. do you know that it's too many? Like, where, how are you defining that? Is just that just your inkling? Or? I'm defining it by the inability of certain types of people to build long-term constructive relationships. The more okay, of those so things that re- you have. The more of those things that you have that you require all of your friends to walk in lockstep with you on, um, the fewer healthy relationships you're going to have. Um, speaking of which, we haven't given a shout out. Oh, boy. <laughs> to our friend, Jim. <laughs> hey, Jim, how you doing tonight? Matthew Good was to quick you. to fill that in. <laughs> to our friend, Jim. <laughs> God bless you, Jim. We love Jim. <laughs> You have more friends than you know. So there's a spectrum between Jim and like, um, maybe Rob Bell. Right. (laughs) Somewhere between those two ends. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you're exactly right, Titus. And I mean, it's one of these cases that the devil really is in the details. I I think Mm -hmm. that the concept you're espousing Anthony is a really important one for for Christian communication and I don't mean talking I mean lifestyle the the King James version of communication um the 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 role of power and power discrepancy in discourse is a huge factor uh Mm -hmm. it it really runs so much of of what we're used to church life being that it becomes um, it becomes an unseen force in everything that happens. And you, you have to really consciously try to deconstruct it to make a difference in that dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, one, and so what I, what I found here is that the, the caveat that sets up the principle that you're talking about is that if you have a well-established, like you must be this tall to ride this ride. Like if there's a place that we know is the in and out, like when there's somewhere mm-hmm. that we all stand on the same footing and that that's clearly expressed and we know these are things that I, we all identify with and, and put us in common footing and outside of those parameters, then the sky's the limit. We can discuss anything we want. 
but we have to have at least this mm -hmm. much commonality. Now, how much is it this much or this much or this much or this much? And right, that spectrum right. of how much in common do we have to have to be able to be to be working together, living together, and in, in, in community together, that's the question. And I think that bar mm -hmm. is really, really high in the Anabaptist world, the conservative Anabaptist world, mm -hmm. and it's really, really low and kind of meaningless in many parts of the evangelical world. Yeah. And so I think there's somewhere in between, and, and here's what I would say about that in between, is that it probably differs in time and place, that yeah. it's not a static thing, that I think given mm -hmm. the situation that the that the church is in the world that she lives in and the time that she lives in and the issues of the day that she's facing that scale may move a little bit up and down depending on the needs of the world around her that's my inclination anyhow because yeah, once i have common footing another... and i know that we're in agreement here now then we whatever's not in that whatever's not in that category have at it we can we can discuss it without without yeah. it being leveraged with somebody's got to win and somebody's got to come out on the right side and wrong mm -hmm. side of this equa equation. Yeah, I, I think of it sometimes as like ideological totalitarianism. Um, you know, if everything you believe right has to be totalitarian lockstep uniformity, then you just you're just going to you can't have fruitful relationships and you can't have exploring and pursuing truth. But there's another thing, this would be a, another topic so for another conversation, but once you define what those things are within, within a given society that you, that you don't um, compromise on, that you, you have these things, if you embrace these with your life, you're in. And if you don't, you're, you can be a friend, but you're outside that inner circle. Um, once you define those things, there's still a lot of questions to be asked about how the power works in the group to sure. define those things and to, and to, and to move those parameters around. And um, because, and, and that's one thing that I, I really would like to talk about sometime. I think we should have a special episode just for that to talk about power dynamics. Right. Um, because I, I would say that a lot of what uh, of the dysfunction that some of us have, have been dissatisfied with in Anabaptist background um, comes from actually not addressing the issue of power at all, just letting it run its own course. Um, and you end up with a chaotic and, you know, kind, kind of undirected um, law of the jungle kind of power operating because we right. don't even acknowledge that it exists. And that's well, really, really destructive. And, and then if you're going to talk about how, how power differentials work in the church, then you almost have to discuss church polity and leadership and how do we come, mm -hmm. how, how do we come up with decisions and what does, yeah. what does a church decision look like? Like all of that's involved in power dynamics in the church. So mm -hmm. I'd love to have that conversation about power and polity. Maybe in two weeks. Yeah, let's put that on the list. I, I want to read a, a very real text that Matthew sent earlier today. He said, uh oh. Uh, after 5 30. It's supposed to be private, Titus. He said, Are we going to do DKP tonight? I'm kind of swamped, but I don't want to blow our track record either. Could we do a short, fun one? I think this is probably the longest one we've done so far. <laughs> yeah, but it was also fun. 
It was fun. This was good. <laughs> yeah, well, I do need to get off, but it's been good with you guys. Yeah. And thanks for all of you that all of you that commented too. I was I, I was reading it. We weren't responding to many of them, but but uh, it's nice to know you're listening and and uh, giving us some feedback. So and and given that we have important, prestigious, and honored guests, hopefully next Monday we'll do a, we'll do a little bit of advertising on DKP or on DKCM uh, to let people remind people to tune in. Uh, hopefully with Chester Reaver and Dean Taylor next Monday. Yeah, don't miss it. Yeah, and you can like and share those posts to all your friends. Right. When they come oh. out. All right. Well, thanks, guys. It's been an honor. All right. Love you guys. Have a good night. Love you guys. Good night.